And uh, so today we want to invite you to open your Bibles because I'm going to be starting a brand new series and it's called Adulting is Hard. Anybody say amen to that reality? Some of y'all want to say amen two times. Adulting is hard. Let me give you a definition of this made up word. Adulting, the practice of behaving in a way characteristic of a responsible adult, especially the accomplishment of mundane but necessary tasks. Any of you ever struggled with adulting before? Maybe, uh, in fact, there's a lot of memes trending about this idea of adulting, and uh, maybe you can relate to this first one. Being an adult is like folding a fitted sheet. No one really knows how. Or maybe, maybe you've had this horrifying moment, that the horrifying moment when you're looking for an adult, then you realize you're an adult, so you look for an older adult, someone successfully adulting, an adultier adult than you. Or, or maybe you've reached that place in life where, where you found this to be true. My, my favorite part about getting older is realizing all the adults I looked up to were really just winging it right? They didn't actually know what they were doing. It's funny, when I, when I think back to when I was 18 and I started my first full-time job, uh, I worked right alongside a guy that was in his early 30s. And I just remember thinking, like, man, this guy has got this thing figured out. I mean, he really knows, like, what he's doing. And, and it's amazing how differently I looked at things when I turned 30. All of a sudden, I'm like, wait, he had, he, I don't think he did know what he was doing. I think he just nodded and laughed at me. Or, or maybe this is a reality for some of you. My favorite childhood memory is not paying bills. That's your adult reality right now. Or, or maybe you could just relate to this picture right here. That's what adulting <laughs> feels like sometimes. <laughs> You just gotta, you just gotta take yourself sometimes. Just, just, just go along. It's amazing when we get into adulthood how much more we can second guess the decisions that we make. I had a, a unique opportunity to do something a few weeks ago. Uh, my friend Matt and I went rock climbing. Now I've actually gone rock climbing several times, but every time I've done it, we top roped. And what that means, top roping, is that as you're climbing, the rope that is tied to your harness is already connected at the top of the mountain that you're climbing, and, and it's brought back down, and your friend is belaying for you. So the higher you climb, the more slack he pulls out of the rope. If at any moment you fall, there's enough tension in the rope, you're not going anywhere. That's top rope climbing. It's a lot of fun. But a few weeks ago, I got a chance to do sport lead climbing, and that's a whole different animal. Because instead of the rope that you're attached to being, atop at, uh, being attached at the top of the cliff, you actually take it up with you. And so you climb up about 15 feet or so, and then you clip that rope into a bolt. Now, if you fall, you won't fall farther than that. But the scary part is you have to keep climbing past that safety point another 10, 12 feet to the next place to clip in. And the scary moment for me came at about 30 feet when I was just a few feet short of reaching that next safety clip that I could clip into. And I realized as I'm hanging on the side of this rock that if I fall 10 feet to that last safety point, I'm not going to stop because there's enough slack in my line for me to be here. So I'm going to fall 10 feet past that point before I come to an abrupt stop. And I want you to know, in that moment, fear took over. I just, I just stayed there. I thought of a thousand possibilities of what I could do, but I was afraid to do, and I just hung on for dear life for about five minutes until I finally talked myself into navigating up to that next safety point. And I tell you that story because I think that's what adulthood feels like a lot of times. Like when you're a kid, you're climbing, you're like, I got this, I got this, I am ready to go. And you don't realize that you're harnessed in, that there's a safety net, that you've got people that are undergirding you, and if you slip and fall, you're not going to go too far. But then you step over into adulthood, and you realize that every decision I make 
has to be calculated because I could, I could botch this whole thing. Like, I could really mess things up quick, and, and nobody's going to catch me. It's all on me. You see, when, when, you're, when you're a kid, everybody wants to be grown, right? And, 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 and nobody, when you're a teenager, nobody's saying, oh, I can't wait until I have to pay the bills. Like, that's not, that's not the deal we look forward to. Nobody says, like, oh, I can't wait until I have to work through the weekend. I can't wait until I get scheduled for, you know, holiday hours. No, nobody says that. What is it that we want? Independence, right? That's what every young person craves. Oh, well, when I, when I grow up, you can't tell me anymore, right? I'm grown now. I'm my own man. I'm, I'm in charge. And that's what we want. We want the independence. And finally, you get, you get to that point in life, whether it's, you know, stepping out into the workforce or going off to college or whatever, and young adults are like William Wallace on the battlefield. We yell out, freedom! You know, this is, this is my moment. I'm out there. But the scary part about it is that the decisions that we craved for the opportunity to be able to make. Now, we have to make. And not only do we have to make the decisions, but we're responsible for the results of those decisions. And let me just say this morning, freedom, for all of its glory, freedom can become a bad thing when it becomes everything. Freedom can become a bad thing. See, some people, all they really care about is their independence. That I don't want anybody to tell me what to do or how to do it. The problem is everyone is subject to authority. Everyone is subject to authority. If you have your Bible, I want you to see a man in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, that Jesus met. And I want you to see this guy because he amazed Jesus. And as you look through the scriptures, you're going to find there's not too many times Jesus was amazed. Only a handful of times, a couple of times that I can find that Jesus was actually amazed. But the Bible says Jesus was amazed by this guy. And the reason he was amazed is because this man understood authority. Look at it with me. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now, that's big, by the way. In case you don't know the cultural context, there, there were no Romans or Greeks coming to Jewish rabbis for help. That just didn't, that didn't happen. Not only is this a Greek man, but he's a Greek man with authority in the Roman military who has an oppressive reign over the Hebrew people. And so this centurion, this commanding officer, comes to Jesus asking for help. Verse 6, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Look at the next verse. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus was amazed because this guy had an understanding of something that was so powerful the people that were following Jesus hadn't even fully grasped yet. He understood authority, but more importantly, he understood Jesus' authority. He had heard the rumors. Maybe he'd even seen the miracles. Jesus is opening blind eyes. He's causing crippled people to walk again. He's healing leprosy. He understood Jesus has authority over sickness and disease. And if he has authority, you don't have to bother coming to my house. I mean, if you have authority, just say the word. Your word is enough. And the Bible says Jesus was amazed that this guy had grasped that concept. There's only other one, or one other place in Scripture that I found that it says Jesus was amazed. And again, it had to do with authority. 
The Bible says when Jesus went to Nazareth, his hometown, he could not do many miracles because of their unbelief. It says he was amazed at their unbelief. Why? Because when Jesus came to his hometown, they didn't see some very popular rabbi. They saw the young man that used to run his dad's carpentry shop down the street. They said, oh, your brothers, they, they, they live down the street. Oh, we used to play on the playground with your sisters. We know Jesus. And they didn't recognize his authority. And Jesus said he was amazed at their unbelief. And I just say rebellion against authority is not new. In fact, it's the oldest problem in human history. When you go all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, we see that God's created this beautiful place for Adam and Eve in the garden. And he gave them one rule. And we all we remember the story that there's this tree. And maybe it was an apple tree. Maybe it wasn't. But it was a tree. And there was fruit on it. And they weren't supposed to eat the fruit from that tree. But the temptation that the serpent came to Adam and Eve with, it's written for us in Genesis 3, 5. Here's the temptation. It says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Adam and Eve thought they knew better than God, right? They thought they, thought they knew better. They thought, you know what? We, we have a right to eat from this and then we'll be like God. People have always rebelled against authority. Always. It is troubling to look at our culture today. It, it, it seems like we, we've ramped it up another level. I mean, we've ramped it up a whole another level. What we're experiencing today in American culture specifically is, is a fundamental rejection of right and wrong. I, I don't mean that there's a rejection of what is right and what is wrong. I mean there's a rejection of the concept of right and wrong. In our society, we've just removed those parameters from the discussion. And if you can't say anything is right for everybody and something is wrong for everybody, then you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me how to live my life. You can't tell me what's wrong. Our generation is, has denied God the authority to say what we should do, but we've gone beyond that now. We've denied God the right to say what we are. It's the world that you and I live in today. The Bible says in Genesis 1:27, in the beginning, God created mankind in his own image, male and female. He created them. But today you say, well, I don't self-identify as male. Okay, well, we'll call you something else then. What would you like to be identified as? There's no, there's no right and wrong. There, there's, there's no truth. Well, see, the, the problem with self-identifying is self never gets the right to determine purpose. The creator does. See, my hammer can self-identify as a screwdriver all it wants to, but I'm going to keep picking it up and driving nails with it because the creation doesn't determine its purpose. The creator does. The creator determines purpose, but, but the world that we live in today says, no, he doesn't. No, there's, there's no authority that says there's something right and there's something wrong. I am my own authority. I decide who I am. I decide what I am. And can I just say to you today that denying an authority doesn't make the authority go away. But do you want to live in a place where everybody has a problem with authority? Do you want to live in a place where every resident has made up their mind that they're going to live the way they want to live in spite of the fact that authority has said they can't do it? You can. I mean, that place actually exists. You, it's called prison, okay? It's called prison. That's a place where every resident has decided, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live, and I'm not going to let the authority determine how I do it. It's a place where every resident on some level has a problem with authority, and you can live there. And so our, our best solution 
As a sophisticated culture, our best solution for how to deal with people that choose to live in rebellion to the things that we all agree to be authority is to lock them in cages. We don't know what else to do with people that just refuse to submit to authority. I want to tell you today, there is a burden called freedom. Freedom is a burden. You don't have to be literally locked up to be imprisoned by your freedoms today. In fact, there are many people that are walking around and maybe even sitting in this room this morning and you are imprisoned by your freedoms, the things that you wanted to be free to pursue. There's, there's people that said, well, I'm 21 now. Now I can go out and get a drink. And now the drink's got you. There are people that are bound on drugs. There are people that are they're hooked on pornography. Why, these are my rights. These are my freedom. I can do what I want to do. Until it grips your life. Until it has a stranglehold on you. Your freedom can be a burden. In fact, James talked about it. He said this is the process. In James chapter 1, the brother of Jesus writes, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. That's how it happens. Just before that, he said, don't say God is tempting me. God doesn't tempt you. He's saying, look, you're enticed by your own evil desires. The things in you that you have a right to do, you can go after those things. Then, he says, after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It's like that little puppy that you brought home from the SPCA and, and you took it for walks and it went out of the way and you just drug it back. And then it went over there and you drug it back. And this is your little puppy. And, it, and now we see you walking that dog and it's 150 pounds. And we look at you and we go, who's walking who here? As you get drug around the neighborhood. That's what sin does. First, it fascinates us. Then it assassinates us. Steal, kill, and destroy. That's the MO of the devil. And freedom is a burden. There's so many people that they, they became a young adult, and all of a sudden, they started getting mail they never got before. Pre-approved. <laughs> what? Free money. What? They're going to give me $7,000. All I have to do is call this number and activate. Freedom, right? I can spend what I want to spend. I can go where I want to go. I can do the things I want to do. Look at this. Adulthood is awesome. I've got free money. Some of you have been down that road, and you found out there was wisdom in Solomon's words when he said, the borrower is slave to the lender. And what was freedom becomes shackles and a prison. But let me give you the good news today. If you're here and you say, that's me, I'm imprisoned. I'm imprisoned by my freedoms. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now that last part is the part we often quote. You hear people say it all the time, the truth will set you free. And, and oftentimes, we don't even really know what that means. You know, like we just use it like as, as leverage, like tell, tell the truth. The truth will set you free. Just be honest. It doesn't mean be honest. Jesus is giving some context here. First of all, if you look at verse 31 again, he said, this is to the Jews who had believed him. Not everybody listening believes. So you got to be a believer, okay? He said, if you believe me, this is who I'm talking to. And then for those that believe, he said, if you hold to my teachings, this is not a moment. This is, not, this is not a decision you make today and go, well, I'm glad I took care of that. No, hold to it means persevere. It means believe and keep believing. It means hold on to the things that you've been taught. And if you do that, you are really my disciples. 
Who are the disciples? Are they the people that get up and drive to church on Sunday morning? Not necessarily. Are they the people that make financial contributions? Maybe. Not necessarily. Is it the people that stand and they're really extroverted in worship and they lift their hands and they shout out? No, no, no. No, here's who the disciples are. If you hold to my teaching, if you believe, and if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. Then he said, then you will know the truth. How do we know the truth? We know the truth because we hold to the teachings daily. We're committed to what his word tells us. And if you hold to the teachings, to the truth, then the truth will set you free. Knowing the truth in that moment will unlock freedom. And you know what? When Jesus said this, the people he he was talking to, they didn't even think they were bound. They didn't even think they needed freedom. And there may be people like that here today. You're listening to this and you're going, I'm not bound by anything. In fact, look at it with me. Here's the response the people gave him. Verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we've never been slaves of anyone. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know that was a stupid statement in itself because they mean slaves all kinds of people. But they said, how can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You know what that means? All of us need to be set free because all of us sin. And he said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But then he goes on to say, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to the family forever. So verse 36, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, again, we love to quote that verse all by itself. If the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen. Set me free. How? How does he set you free? Well, you got to go right back to where he began in verse 31. You believe in him. You hold to his teachings. You are his disciple. You know the truth. Then the truth will set you free. God wants to set you free today. Not freedom from authority. Freedom to walk submitted to authority. Now, and I want this message for the, the remainder of our time to become very practical. So I want to give you three earthly authorities that the Bible tells us we are to submit to. See, I believe understanding authority is maybe the most significant thing for your relationship with God, for discipleship. God said, honor your father and mother, and it will go well with you, and you will live a long and prosperous life. Why did he put a promise with that commandment? Because in the home is where we start to understand authority. And if we get it right there, then we can get it right in other places. If we don't understand authority, everything's going to go wrong from here forward. And so he says, if you grasp this concept, it's going to work. It's going to go well for you. So let me give you three earthly authorities that the Bible says that we're supposed to submit to. The first one is the government. Didn't think I was getting an amen. Just checking. Just just checking. I didn't want to rush through that. A recent poll showed that only 20% of Americans trust the federal government most or all of the time. Four-fifths of the population doesn't trust the government that they elected most of the time. Now, I got to be honest, when I read that, that didn't surprise me at all. I was actually surprised, like 20% really have confidence in the federal government most or all the time. Wow, that's amazing. Who are those 20%? While poll numbers always go up and down, this statistic has been pretty much consistent for the last 40 years. But what does the Bible say? I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 2.
Peter gives some instructions to the church that I believe can help us today. First Peter chapter two, beginning in verse 13, he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now, we don't have an emperor, but we do have a president. We do have governors. We do have those in authority that are sent to uh, correct those who do wrong and commend those who do right. So, so let me just say today, if you don't like what's happening in our government, do something about it. How many of you know this Tuesday is election day? We have an election. Every American ought to vote, but every Christian, every Christian, I believe, should vote. Every one of them. You, you have, while you have a voice, use it. Some of you need to go beyond that. Maybe, maybe you need to run for an office. You need to serve at a greater capacity. But every one of us should at least vote, and I pray that you will do it this Tuesday and that you would vote with, with your biblical convictions, vote according to your standards. But regardless of who wins or loses, regardless of what happens this Tuesday or in any other election, we are commanded, and this is what I need you to hear today, we are commanded to pray for and to submit to those in positions of authority. Denying them and dishonoring them has no place for the child of God. There's no place for it, for the Christian. I know this is not easy to hear, but I did call the series hard, so you, you should have known like this was coming. It's hard. Adulting is hard sometimes. Let me just say to you, it doesn't matter how bad you think it might be right now, it is nowhere comparable to how bad it was when Peter wrote this. The, the emperor that Peter was talking about when he wrote this to the church was Nero. Nero's approval ratings were so bad, his own mother didn't like him. She didn't approve of him. And he had her killed because of it. He also killed his first wife, who happened to be his stepsister. And then he poisoned his stepbrother. Then his second wife mysteriously died. We don't know how, but it's suspect. And then after that, Nero married a young boy, had him castrated, dressed him up like a woman, and called him by his dead wife's name. You thought we had an ethical problem in Washington. <laughs> this, this is the emperor that Peter's writing about. Look at verse 17. He says, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Can you imagine? You know, Nero had this other bad habit he just couldn't quite get over. He liked to burn Christians alive. Did it all the time. In fact, it was this emperor that Peter said to the church, you should honor who would have Peter crucified on a cross upside down? Keep that in mind Tuesday when all the mud starts getting slung on social media and you're tempted to jump right in the thick of it. Keep in mind what God's word says about authority. Look at verse 13 again. He said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Can I just say, yes, adulting is hard, and, and part of the, the thing about it is recognizing authority. But the motivation for doing it, that's the, that's the incredible part. And this is the part you can't miss here in verse 13. Why in the world would Peter say you ought to honor Nero? Why would he say recognize and submit yourself to authority? Why would he say that? Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. So next time you see a headline 
about politics and you just want to say, oh, for Christ's sake, finish that thought, I will submit to their authority. <laughs> now, listen, we're blessed as Americans. Amen. We, we have a lot of laws that allow for sin, and I wish they would change. But right now, we don't have a lot of laws that enforce that we sin, and that's a blessing. Now, that, that day may change. That day may change where the government wants to impose that we con contradict God's word. And when it does, we don't go with government, we go with God. Amen. We honor God and let every man be a liar. I thank God that, that the day hasn't come that I'm mandated to do things that are contrary to the word of God. But if that day does come, I hope you'll come visit me. Because I'm going with God, but we have to honor those who have positions of authority. Look at verse 15. I skipped over verse 15. It says, for it is God's will that you, that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish believers. This is so practical for us in 2018. How do you silence the ignorant? You tag them in a social media post and you put them on blast. No. How do you silence the ignorant? By doing good. That's what he said, by doing good. How many of you believe this today? The church should be known more for what it's for than what it's against. It's true. The church should be more known for what it's for than what it's against. How do we silence the foolish talk? How do we silence the ignorant? We don't do it by, by, by arguing. We do it by doing good. For the Lord's sake, we submit to human authority. Let me give you the second one. The second one, you're going to like this one even more, employers. Earthly authority that God's word calls us to submit to, employers. Now, if you own your own business, relax. You can just chill for a few minutes, sip your coffee, take it easy. You know, when the Bible talks about the employer-employee relationship, uh, he doesn't, it doesn't use those terms. And so if you were trying to think, where, where do I read about employers? The, the phrase that the Bible uses is slave and owner. But you can't read those terms with the lens of a 200-year American history because the way we understand slavery in our 200-year history is completely different than this context. You have to look at it through the lens of a 2,000-year history. You have to go all the way back to a different culture and to a different time to understand what he's talking about. See, you have to understand that in the New Testament time, slavery wasn't based on race. And anyone could be a slave. And slavery wasn't necessarily for a lifetime. People could agree to be a slave for a set amount of time, and then they could be freed after their obligation is fulfilled. Oftentimes, slavery was voluntary. And the reason that people would volunteer to be a slave is because it was a time when it was hard to have food and shelter and clothing and to have your needs met. And so slavery offered some, uh, some stability for people. They didn't have major corporations like we have today. But slavery is maybe the, the closest thing we have in God's word to what it is like today to work for a business. So what does Paul say about how we treat our employers? Still in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. And I love how like, it's almost like when he says that, he anticipates the rebuttal. Like right away he can expect you're going to say, oh, but you don't, know, you don't know my boss. You don't know how she is. You don't know what he does. You don't know what they said. And so he just right after that, he says, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. So listen, you, you might have a terrible boss. I hope they don't attend church with you and you're not looking at them, but you might have a terrible boss. The good news is this. They're a boss. They're not a slave owner. And so you, you can work for somebody else. You can get another job. But the hard news is this. The hard news is that while you do work for them, the word of God challenges us and admonishes us to submit yourselves 
to the authority that they have. And again, what's the motivation? It's there in verse 18. He said, in reverent fear of God. The motivation for how we respond and how we deal with authorities horizontally in our life is the way that we live vertically in our relationship with God. It's his authority that dictates the way we handle earthly authority. Let me give you one more. Earthly authorities that the Bible says we're to submit to. Number three, the church. Listen to this verse out of Hebrews 13, 7, or 17. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Now, let me just say, as a church leader, that verse makes me shudder, especially the part about having to give an account. But look at what he says next. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Our our culture today is so different than it was 30 years ago, 50 years ago. And if if you're a young adult or, or maybe if you just never grew up in the church, this might surprise you that the Bible actually says you should submit to spiritual leaders. That's surprising. Statistics tell us, according to a 2014 Pew Research Center study, 80 to 84% of young adults believe in God. 80 to 84%. Yet only 27% attend weekly religious services. Now that includes all faiths, but it's predominantly made up of Christians. That of the 80 to 84% that attend church, or that call themselves believers and believe in God, only 27% attend weekly religious services. Another study that was done by the Barna Research Group found that of those that attend church, of that 27%, one of six people don't attend just one church, but hop around through a carefully chosen handful of churches on a rotating basis. This means that even though they are, quote, regularly attending services, they're not regular members of one church. A separate study in 2015 by Barna survey uh, seems to confirm that millennials avoid being truly known at church. Two-thirds refuse to share any contact information when visiting a church. And 18% wouldn't even share their first name. Why? Freedom. Freedom. It's this idea that because of freedom, it's the same old desire to say, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I don't want anyone to tell me how to live my life. I don't want anybody keeping track or keeping tabs on me. I don't want anyone telling me that I need to draw closer to Jesus or or to, to follow him. The idea of accountability and vulnerability It's scary to people. It's scary because they don't want anybody else pointing out what's wrong with their life. And so we choose the path of freedom. Last year, my younger brother was driving his car home from work, and he drifted off the road. Now, Day and I have driven down that road, and I can tell you there's no shoulder on that road. There's a white line, and just past the white line is a water runoff ditch. And so he drifted off that road, and he hit that ditch, and he flipped that car numerous times, and he broke his back in four places. Now, now by the grace of God, he has recovered, and physically, he's doing well. But when we drove down that road last Thanksgiving, and we looked at the place where that accident happened, I couldn't help but think if if there was a shoulder, if there had been a shoulder on the road, maybe, maybe he wouldn't have run off the road into the ditch. Maybe he wouldn't have had such a serious crash. And and can I just say to all of us today that if your heart is beating, you're going to go outside the line sometimes. If you're still living in a body and you're alive, 
At some point, you're still going to feel the tug of the slavery to sin. You're prone to make mistakes. We all go outside the lines. But can I tell you, having a church is like having a shoulder on the road. Having a church is like having those people that you come back to week in and week out and you meet with in your life group and you talk about life and they can see when you're starting to drift off the line. You have people that can talk to you and encourage you and and pull you back on course. It's like when you're driving down the highway late at night and you're tired and your eyes are getting heavy and all of a sudden you start to drift off and you hit those rumble strips and it goes and you wake up and you, the church It's like those rumble strips that say, brother, what are you doing? Sister, don't don't go that way. Don't drift that way. Well, what's happening with you? Where have your priorities gone to? And sometimes the church is like those guardrails because sometimes we lose it on the turns. We lose control and and boy, we can swerve off into a ditch, but, but when you have the body of Christ around you, holding on to you, trying to build you up, trying to encourage you, can save your life because it's an authority that God has given you for your good. And the Bible says this to all of us about the church in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's what God has called us to do as the church, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, to not give up meeting together, to to look for ways to encourage one another. See, when you were a child, you just wanted, you wanted the freedom, right? I mean, you... We just wanted, I want to be able to make my own decisions. I want to be able to do what I want to do. If I don't want to do the laundry, I don't want to do the laundry. I don't want anybody to tell me how to live my life. But then then we become adults and we realize everyone is subject to authority. Everyone is subject to authority. Government, employers, the church, and how we deal with every authority is determined by our understanding of ultimate authority. Again, you don't have to submit to those authorities. It won't go well for you, but it's your choice. But how we deal with those authorities is determined ultimately by how we see the ultimate authority. In fact, Colossians 1 says this, talking about Jesus' authority, Listen to these verses, Colossians chapter one, verse 16 and 17. For in him, talking about Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And I just declare to you today that Jesus is the ultimate authority of our lives. And that reality ought to influence the way that we deal with every other earthly authority. In fact, Jesus said when he was commissioning his disciples, he's already made a public show of the enemy by being crucified on a cross and raising from the dead three days later. Now 40 days have passed and he's standing on a mountaintop. He's getting ready to ascend back to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. And he's giving them the great commission. You're about to go and take the gospel to the whole nation. But the the rationale for why they should do it, the rationale for why you and me should spend our lives fulfilling God's purpose His rational explanation is his authority. You've you've heard it before, but let, let me read it to you. This is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
And the next word is, therefore. Because that's true. Because I have all the authority. Then the logical thing is, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, at the close of this service, I want to pray specifically for a group of people here. I want to pray for those that might be here and, and you have discovered that what maybe at one time was freedoms that you longed for and had hoped for the right to pursue has now become the prison that you're captive to. Now, this is a private moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody. This is between you and God. So I want to ask everyone that's here, if you would just bow your head with me, close your eyes for a moment, because we're about to pray. We're about to pray, and I want you to look at your own life. And you're here, and for some of you, it's so obvious. It's something that you've, you've wanted to break free from. You've wanted to be delivered from. Today, I want to tell you, you can be. You can be delivered. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. God can teach you to walk in freedom. Now, he can do something in a moment. He can do a miracle right now. He can break the bondage of addiction off of your life. He can break strongholds off of your life, whether they're physical, whether they're mental. God can do something in a moment. But if you're going to be free, if you're going to stay free, he wants you to believe and to hold on to and to be his disciples and to know his truth and knowing that truth will set you free tomorrow. So God wants to do something in your life. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need God to set me free. I've been imprisoned by my freedoms. If that's you right now, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Just be honest with God. Would you lift your hand and say, that's me. I need God to set me free from something today. Praise God. Praise God. Hands are going up all over this room. The Spirit of the Lord is in this place. He wants to bring freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, the Bible says there is liberty. There is freedom. He's here. He's here now. If you just raise your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Maybe you're here today and you don't even have a relationship with Jesus. You heard us talk about the glory of salvation in communion earlier, and maybe you're considering it. But in this moment, you know you need to make a decision to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If that's you today, I want you to join with those that just raised their hand in praying this prayer out loud, because we're about to pray a prayer of surrender to Jesus. And church, I'm going to ask you to pray it with them. Can we all just say it together? Say, dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to pay for my sin and to set me free. Today, I receive your mercy. I receive your grace. My sins are gone. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. By faith, I believe and I'm changed. Holy Spirit, fill my life. Break the power of sin. Help me to walk in relationship with my Savior. From this day forward, I want to know the truth. And I want to stay free. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer today, I believe that God can move in a moment. I don't know what's been holding you down, but I believe supernaturally right now, God can set you free. He can set you free. He can do it. I believe he has done it. But listen, you have to walk that out. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer every morning. Adulting's harsh. You have to get up and do it yourself tomorrow. 
but you can do it. Because who the Son sets free is free indeed. You can do it because you're pursuing His Spirit. You're walking in His truth. You're holding to His truth. So I want you to stand with me today. I'm about to pray a closing prayer, but by faith and in celebration for what God's already done in this place, I want to ask you if you just give God praise with me one more time for His power to work in our lives. Amen. God, we worship you. Thank you, God. Listen, if you're here today and You'd like to have somebody pray with you. Maybe this message has stirred up something in your heart. Maybe you came in with something on your heart and you just thought, man, I need to be in God's house. I need to have some brothers and sisters pray for me. We want to do that. So at the close of this message, while I pray this prayer, if you'd like for somebody to pray with you, I want to invite you. Just step out from wherever you are right now while I'm praying. Don't wait till the end. While I'm praying, just step out and come down to this altar. Somebody will meet you here. We will pray with you and we will believe for God's best in your life. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in this place, God. Thank you for giving us the wisdom to walk according to your ways, to be led by your Holy Spirit. God, we all desperately need your grace. God, this week, Lord, we, we pray for the United States of America. God, we pray for this election on Tuesday. And amidst all of the, the turmoil and the stress and the strife that, that we see just being stimulated in the news and, and social media, God, we pray that we would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit calling us to silence the foolish and ignorant talk by doing good. God, that we would take our rightful place submitted to the authority and the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and therefore we would live on mission. Thank you, God, today that your mercies are new and that your grace is sufficient. We give you thanks for it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you today, church.